This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Do you remember where you were on Tuesday, the 11th of September, 2001? I do. I was working at a foreign embassy in Pretoria at the time, and I walked into one of the diplomat's offices. He was staring at the TV with shock all over his face, and he kept mumbling how the world had changed forever. Has it though? And can interfaith relationships between our communities bring about peace? I'm delighted to have back as my guest Anglican priest, Reverend Peter Houston, canon theologian and Diocese of Natal. Reverend Houston, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Lovely being back again. Reverend, where were you on 9-11-2001? Looking back on life, I often, I'm not quite sure of the timeline and the details, but I have a sense of the moment and actually had to go and ask my boss at the time, where was I and what project when this happened? And I, I remember I was in the south, southern KZN. I was working for an engineering company, and I was busy doing a survey of hand pumps. I was involved in water before I became a priest, and it was an area of Nokwedja. And so I had been out of communication for the whole day, wandering around the valleys of uh, rural Nokwedja. And when I got back into my bucky and, and turned on the radio just to listen to uh, some music as I drove back to to the office, obviously the radio on every station was all about the September 11 attacks on the, on the Twin Towers. And I, I just, that, that moment is frozen in my mind, looking across at the Umzunkulu River, um, and that that's what stuck. So yeah. I, I was in the middle of nowhere, and yet something uh, far, far away impacted my world. I always think of a friend of mine who at that time had just come out of an operation and was in hospital, and he'd put on the TV, and he, had, he was in hospital for three days subsequent to that. And he said for three days, no matter what he did, which channel he turned to, all he could see were the images of the Twin Towers going out and people jumping out of the buildings. And it, it kind of scarred us, I think, at some level. That certainly for me was the first time kind of religious extremism or, or the violence that broke into my consciousness in that way. Um, I don't know anyone uh, personally who died in the Twin Towers, but a few degrees of separation and I knew I knew a family, friends who had children who, who were, so we live in such a globally connected, that trauma became our trauma, even vicariously through the TV. Um, my, my future parents-in-laws uh, flew to America the, the month afterwards in October, and I remember there was a lot of anxiety around that, and my brother was on board, a, volunteering on a ship at the time, and uh, there was a large American contingent, and they certainly were, were very traumatized in, in that space. But that put religious extremism on my radar for the first time. The, the response was interesting, roundly condemned by many governments, uh, many organizations. Some Christians came out saying this is the judgment of God, and there were some Muslim groups that, that celebrated um, it. And so it becomes this very strange and contested religious space. Um, and that's where we, we suddenly had the, the war on terror and uh, the axis of evil. There's there's a whole narrative that emerged that we didn't have before then. Afghanistan has been in the news. It led to military engagement in Afghanistan and, and, and then Iraq and the hunting down of Osama bin Laden. Many, many countries changed their anti-terrorism legislation, um, and that's had impacts. Um, I've been involved in a two-day conference on, on seafarers, and many seafarers from that time really struggled disembark off their ships because of the security controls uh, in ports as they became more conscious of, of security. 
But Muslims found themselves at the sharp end of uh, Islamophobic incidents. Um, ordinary Muslims, ordinary people who'd lived in communities or side by side, suddenly felt themselves profiled or targeted or told to go back where they came from when this is where they had grown up or burqas being ripped off. Or It wasn't even limited to uh, Muslim people themselves. Uh, there were incidents of Sikh men with their turbans being targeted simply because the, the turban kind of image that Disney promoted was what people thought Muslims looked like. So it set the world on this religiously polarizing trajectory. And uh, we, we've just been living in light of that for some time. From what you're saying, it did change the world. As you said, the whole lexicon changed. Um, where are we 20 years later in terms of extremism in religion? Every few years we are confronted with religious extremism. A family friend of ours died in Kenya in 2013 when he was shot and killed at the Al-Shabaab attack on the Westgate Mall in, in Nairobi. And that was James Thomas, uh, the late James Thomas. And so there have been events where suddenly it, it comes back into our consciousness. Certainly the Jewish community is very aware of this kind of religious extremism, um, not only living in Israel, but I'm very conscious in the, the latest conflict in, in May of this year, suddenly Jewish people in South Africa, many parts of the world, were victims simply for being Jewish um, for, or conforming to somebody else's idea of what a Jewish person looked like. So it's spilled over into the, into the public space. Here in South Africa, Jewish businesses being boycotted because they're Jewish-owned businesses, um, targeting of Jewish neighborhoods for intimidation. And the example, like the, the turban Sikh who was mistaken for a Muslim, they're examples of non-Jewish people who targeted because they, they look Jewish or were hanging around with Jewish people. I think of the, the Lebanese Christian in Los Angeles who was with some Iranian Jewish patrons at a restaurant and got caught up and assaulted. And that's the place of fear. Fear demonizes the other and becomes quite, quite irrational. A Lebanese Christian, well, how do you distinguish him from a, an Iranian Jewish person from a profiling? Um, so we have this polarized religious space, and I think it's characterized by tremendous fear of the other. And yet out of that, even after September 11th, there have been movements, um, religious movements to say, no, we, we want to seek moderation. We want to seek coming together. We want to seek building to bridges, building bridges. I did a Wolf course, a Wolf Institute course on um, Jewish Muslim encounters. And it was fascinating hearing the stories of religious people coming together and saying, actually, not in my name, not in the name of Islam or Judaism or Christianity. We're going to have the hard conversations. We're going to commit to recognizing each other's common humanity. We're not going to let the extremists win or even define the narrative. So interesting you say that there was a Kim Center article on News 24. And in it, he, and it's quite a long quote, but I think it's a nice quote. And I'd like to get your comment afterward. And it goes, despite our reservations about faith playing any role in thinking in thinking the future, we want to acknowledge that faith is an incredibly important and enriching aspect of our spirituality. Billions of people follow one religion or another. Faith can divide us, but it can also spur people to do things beyond the call of duty. And 20 years after 9-11, you've spoken about the Not In My Name campaign between Jews and Muslims and people reaching out. What role do you think interfaith can play, especially here in South Africa? I think in a positive sense, it, it can be holding the, the middle ground and the, the moderate response, conscious of South African history 
it was moderates seeking peace who came together to negotiate a constitution at a time when there were those wanting to push something far more extreme. The, the RVBS storming of the, the center where, where the constitution was being drafted, th- those were some some uh, extremist views in, in action, and, and yet the, the moderates committed to a, a peaceful way. Think of Northern Ireland in, leading up to 1998. It was moderates coming together from the sectarian parties against the backdrop of tremendous violence, including bombings. He said, actually, no, we, we're committing to peace and the way of moderation, and we're not going to let the, the extremists win. And, and the Good Friday Agreement in, in April 1998 was ratified and endorsed. And yet in August, there was the Omar bombings from an extremist group trying to derail it and have that, that peace process come to naught. And there seems to always be this tension of those of us wanting to seek peace and seek engagement and build bridges and those who want to make it all fall down. And I think we always live with that. But the, the more of us who are religiously moderate, you can say, actually, we, we commit to building bridges. We commit to forging a way forward together. We commit to the common good. It can actually counter us who would have it all fall down. I agree with you in that, um, you know, there's, there is always going to be extremism. And if we don't speak out, extremism is going to be the only voice that anybody ever hears. Does that mean ultimately more and more people will be attracted to extremism because they think that is the, the dominant voice? Or are the margins getting smaller between extremisms and moderates? I don't know. How do we judge? Certainly the extremists are very vocal. And un- unless others speak out, their voice is the only voice that is heard in the public space, heard on social media making the news headlines. The first time you invited me onto this program was to talk about Simone Creel's um, views being expressed on social media. And then the second time you invited me back was to read a, a letter by Ella Blumenthal. I think you see both of there. You have the extreme voices that are out there, but also the beautiful voices saying, you know what, I, I, I see you. Uh, Simone, says Ella, and let me offer you a, a gracious and loving response. We need the Ellas everywhere. We can sit around the table, uh, Christians reading scriptures, Muslims reading their scriptures, Jewish people reading the Hebrew scriptures, and even within our own religions come to very different conclusions, um, whether to choose the way of peace or the way of violence. And and we always have the choice to appropriate our beliefs in a way that is for good or, or, or for ill. I sat with a Muslim evangelist in Jerusalem in the old quarter for two hours who was trying to convert me to the, 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 the loving religion and peaceful religion of Islam. He, he was passionate about um, the Quran and, and the, the peace that it displayed and, and the type of, of God that was on show. And I thought, this is a fascinating space. I said, I'm an Anglican priest. And he said, that's fine. And he still, for two hours, we had these interesting conversations around his religion and mine. And that was such a learning space. We, we can engage in our, our differences and our even divergent beliefs and yet come away having affirmed our, our common humanity. It doesn't have to end in extremism. It doesn't have to end in extremism. And you say, like, how do you know where the, the center is holding and if the center is holding? And I think maybe there are two ways, but I, I could be wrong. 
And I'm just testing it on you. For example, when um, the Taliban came to power in Afghanistan, certain Muslim groups in South Africa kind of welcomed that move. And then you kind of think, is that, depending on what the, the backlash is within the Muslim community to that is, that might be a way of gauging where the center is. But I'm not sure if you can go like that. And also in an environment of cancel culture, people often who are moderate are very scared to speak out lest they be the next one's cancelled. Against the backdrop of cancel culture, we do worry about if what I say will lead to me being cancelled, there being an uproar. I almost think we have to move away from what is said and in, in terms of virtue signaling and in social media and come back to human interactions, that in-person, face-to-face, oh, we can't do that in COVID, but I mean, you know what I mean, my interaction with, with a Muslim evangelist. Another great example was I, I went camping with my family in the Drakensberg, and there was a Muslim men's group there, also camping, and my son loves playing cricket, so he and I were busy playing cricket. Before we knew it, we had a, a cricket series going on between my family and the Muslim men's group, and we had this beautiful little interaction and I was sitting on the lawn waiting for my turn to, to, to bat and I was chatting to the, the man next door to me. It turns out he was a, a Muslim imam and he, he was the Anglican priest and the Muslim imam and, and we started talking about life and, and sharing, sharing of life and whatever the extremism when we can see each other or see each other's humanity, I think that undoes the power of extremism. I don't know how we facilitate that in our society, but we need those touch points of seeing the other as myself. Leviticus has it there, love your neighbor as yourself, and then goes on later to say, talking about foreigners, and says, love them as yourself, or you were foreigners in Egypt. In other words, love the other because they like you. Basically, what you're saying is we need to create, even if artificially at first, and opportunities for the different religions to come together for moderates to come together and just speak out. Speak together, talk together, play sport together, laugh together, cry together. That's our common humanity. And that incredibly beautiful note, <laughs> I will leave this discussion. I, I really enjoy talking to you, and um, this certainly won't be the last. We've spoken about the previous times, but we'll definitely find opportunity in the future to explore these issues a little bit further. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Thank you very much. That was Reverend Peter Houston, Canon Theologian and Diocese of Natal.